0: I'm still a little bit congested from having a cold last week, so that's mm. not good. So I might sound like I have a cold, but I assure you, I feel fine. But now my cold voice will be recorded. Although I feel like I've recorded at this point several episodes while well sick, I'm sure, so. Mm-mm-mm,
1: nasal Brian. <laughs> Strap in cuz we got another hour of this. <laughs> Welcome to episode 412 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Black. Welcome back for another episode. Screaming on in with this one. This is, uh, yeah, episode 412. How you doing, Brian? I'm great. We got some fun stuff
0: to talk about. By the way, Marshall, we intentionally delayed today's episode, not because of the Apple event but because I was too sleepy. But we had this beautiful side effect. We actually get to talk about the Apple event, the week of the Apple event. This is the first yeah. time we've done... I think we should just do this going forward. Like, yeah. weeks of event, if it's on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, we just delay and we'll release the episode like I feel like it's better. That way we don't come in with those lukewarm takes, you know, yeah. a week later after everyone's week old, bored yeah. of it. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into that. Shortly before we do, huge shout out to our Golden Ratio supporter, Plume. Plume empowers a billion smart devices at home and small businesses through a suite of adaptive Wi-Fi, AI security, and parental control, and they are hiring product designers to come build the future of smart home services. If you got two to five years of experience, head to designdetails.fm slash plume, that's P-L-U-M-E, and go build some cool shit. Their website's great. Thanks, Plume. We also have some new very important pixels, aka VIPs, joining the fam today. Joining the crew, welcome. Big shout-outs to Kyle. Skylar Shane, Elena Nubro, Dominique Horner, Colin Chopin, I, sorry, uh, Kieran Boswell, Eva Ratcliffe, Mike Walklow, Alexi Nikitin, Cliff Warren, Edward Gingell. oh man, that one's tough. Double G's and you don't know if it goes J pronunciation or G pronunciation. I'm very sorry, Edward.
1: Uh, uh, Stevie Roger and Sarah Catherine Smith. Stevie Roger, that's like Captain America-esque. I'm sure this person
0: has never heard Captain America jokes. In their entire <laughs> I'm, life. I'm sure not. Welcome to the fam, <laughs> everybody. All right. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means that every week listeners like you head to patreon.com slash Details. And support the show that make it possible for just a buck a month, and in return, you get access to bonus episodes, double content every week. Supporters get access to the sidebar, sidebar, sidebar. The sidebar is a supporter-only segment where we talk about an extra cool thing, an extra topic, another deep dive into something designy. And uh, this week, we're talking all about our reactions in response to the September Apple event. So, if you want to hear our hot takes on Apple's latest devices, head to Patreon.com/slash Design Details. Once again, for just a dollar a month, you'll get access to that double episode sidebar every week, as well as the entire backlog of sidebars and future sidebars going forward. Once again, it's patreon.com slash design details. Just a buck a month. It's just a quarter a week. <laughs> just three cents a day. Is <laughs> that math work out? I don't know. We, it gets you pretty close. We're, we're rounding at that point. There you go. All right. Main topic time. Marshall, we had a question come in. Speaking of Patreon, we got a DM on Patreon this week. from I don't know if they wanted to stay anonymous, so I'll keep this anonymous. Someone messaged and said, would love your thoughts on tackling progress over perfection, especially in the product design world. I know Marshall doesn't want to publish anything which isn't perfect to his eyes, but the issue is that I'm not nearly as good as Marshall.
1: Okay. Oh, stop.
0: <laughs> so it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on overcoming this. Whenever I work on my portfolio or a case study, I can't help but get stuck or held up on details to make it perfect. Although I try to focus on the progress and ignore the perfection part, the OCD makes me so frustrated to the point I eventually go back and fix those issues and end up delaying what I wanted to finish even further. Sorry for the longest message ever. Grateful for this podcast. Well, we're grateful for this message. I love it. Um, I kind of want to do a slight twist on this just because, Marshall, I don't think you and I have necessarily updated a case study in a long, long time. So I thought we could just talk about perfection with side projects which maybe is like the closest parallel here right like Mm -hmm. it's something entirely in your control it's not something at work you don't have stakeholders it's just something that you're building and yeah that perfectionism can creep in and when i read this question it jumped out because you and i have very very different philosophies i love the act of shipping a side project and when perfectionism starts to creep in, I think I'm pretty good at pushing that to the side and just shipping anyways. I fall much more in the camp of like, it's more exciting for me to have shown people and tweeted about it and gotten feedback from from real people in the world. And then I can iterate quickly and like polish things up or, or, or make the small tweaks that I need to make. And like one way that I've sort of found that works kind of well to battle perfectionism is to just put a date on it. So, for example, with staff design, which at this point was in January, but that was my most recent side project. I just set a date. I was like, all right, I think it was January 19th. I said, January 19th, it's going out the door. That's the day. It ships. And it was a little bit of a crunch mode in the last couple of days just to kind of get in the last bits that I felt like were important. But I self-imposed a date and a ship, and there was a lot of stuff that wasn't perfect, and I tweaked it later, but it felt ultimately gratifying for me to just have it in the world early. Uh, and so that's kind of my approach for most side projects. Like, Get it to the point where I'm not totally embarrassed to have it in the world, ship it, and iteration can come later. And the iteration and iterating in public specifically is part of the the joy for me. Like, Showing a thing that was bad and then showing how I fixed it and like talking about that as I go through that process, I think is pretty fun. So that's my process here. And I feel like I'm pretty pragmatic about like, I want to solve a specific problem or answer a specific question. So staff design was very much driven by scratching an itch that I've had for a long time, talking about sort of career progression for designers, other just smaller things like, security checklist or even this show, like they have very specific purposes. For example, design details is just fun. Like this is a fun thing to do every week. And I feel like it's, I would say it's been kind of nice to like hand off some of the perfectionism to you because you do the editing. But I don't feel like a perfectionist with this podcast because it is just for fun, right? Like that's, I think comes across in the tone and the casual nature of the show and the topics that we pick. And for some people, I'm sure that will resonate. And for other people who want a more polished NPR like experience, well, this isn't for you. So I've just become comfortable with that feeling like each project has its own thing that that makes me happy. And, and I'm happy for it to just go that far. And I don't need it to be like perfect and impress everybody in the world. If That makes sense.
1: Yeah. My whole reason for doing side projects is the itch scratching, right? Like You do it to scratch an itch to launch the thing. Like me working on the thing is the scratching of the itch, if that makes sense. So usually like launching or shipping or getting it out there into the world isn't even on the checklist of things that will give me that dopamine hit. It's the solving the problem and being happy with my solution and then showing it to a few friends who I know will appreciate the work that I did and then being done with it. Like that that's the whole cycle usually uh for most of the stuff that I work on. Unless I think I can make money off of it. In which case, that then I'll put a little bit more work into it. But then that's when the the problems really start to arise. Cause for that other stuff, I'm just doing it for fun, right? I'm I'm just designing trying to solve a problem, exploring some areas that I don't normally get to explore, finding solutions that excite me or maybe are different from other things that have been done before, getting the feedback from people I care about, and then and then that's it. But when it comes to making money off of stuff, I don't want to show people because I don't know about you, Brian, but I think there's been studies on this, but my drive Falls drastically once I show people my work and get positive feedback. And ah, it's yeah. very hard for me to go back and finish that thing after I've already gotten the feedback yeah. from people because that's my dopamine hit. Like that's, yeah, that's the end game, yeah. right? Shipping is not the end game. Shipping is like maybe something I do it after the end game. But like, uh, so I have to be very careful about when and where and to whom I show these things because if I get too much gratification from that feedback i may never launch the thing
0: yeah this is this is it this is where you and i are different i had this moment i am currently redesigning my website and i was texting somebody I, i recorded a video i was trying to solve this like three column layout problem in fact it was longtime fan of the pod gabriel valdivia i was showing him and i was like really excited by my solution and I was so excited that I'm like all right I just got to keep redesigning the whole site and I want it to be like this big thing that I tweet like I redesigned my personal website you know like people redesign their websites and like do a big tweet about it and I was talking with Gabe and and he pointed out that you know like part of the fun is the journey of showing people things as you make it in real time it's this sort of philosophy of learning in public or building in public however you want to call it and that's true for me I ended up deciding to tweet about my progress and I got the dopamine hit of people liking it and saying, "Oh, cool, nice! Like this looks great." But I also got some useful feedback and so people being like, "Oh, what if it did this?" Or people asking questions about the implementation that like helped me realize ways it could be better. Like there was there was a, a feedback loop that added more energy to, okay, this was really cool that people seemed to like this idea, but man, it's going to be so fun when they can play with it. So now I really want to finish. Like it, it just poured more fuel on the fire to actually make the thing. But I will say, I know exactly the feeling you're talking about, which seems kind of like the feeling of, or one of the reasons, you know, people give up on workout plans or or diets, you know, they, they say they're going to do it and then they tweet about it and then they, the brain is tricked into thinking you've already done it, right? Like Uh tweeting (laughs) that you are going to go for a run scratches your brain in the same way as going for a run. So I don't know for me, I guess maybe I I somehow changed where that positive early public reinforcement or, or feedback just like motivates me to get it in front of them so they can use it
1: for real, right? I don't know. Here's the thing, though. I I think I've always been this way, and it just took me a while to recognize it and realize and compensate. I'm not sure. I don't know if I'll ever change the way my brain works this way. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that might always just be the way it is. So like I said, I have to compensate. I have to come up with coping mechanisms to make sure that I don't fizzle out on something that I do actually want to complete. Right. Are are you comfortable talking about the current side
0: project you're working on?
1: Yeah. Oh, man. See, this is what I'm worried about, though, is if I talk about it now. (laughs) You you think if we talk about it now, it will scratch the itch of having shipped it? Well, it's part of my OKRs at work. Like I've I've (laughs) set it up for myself. I have to do it for my job. So I I think I'll still follow through. But yeah, we can talk about it. Sure. Let's go.
0: Okay. So, Marshall, you're working on a new side project. And one of the things that's been killing me is... You are polishing it beyond recognition, and it's very, very good. Like the end result is looking great, but I've been been encouraging you every week. Like it's time release it. It's going to be maybe I don't know if you want to say exactly what it is, but maybe if you want to be secretive, I can just say it's a series of things. No, that's fine. We can talk. You got to it. ship it, right? Okay, then then you go. Like tell me about the project and like how are you deciding when it's good enough to ship? Because in my eyes, from what I've seen, it's been ready
1: to ship for about. Three or four weeks now. <laughs> uh huh. Um, okay, so it's a tutorial series for Figma. And the idea is like each episode is one minute and covers a single topic, very focused, segmented by categories like organization, navigation, system stuff, building stuff, as well as difficulty levels per episode. Uh, yeah, I I plan on releasing a bunch of them. I got a, like seventy five of these things planned. One or two that I'm happy with, but I think part of it for me has been, I know that this is going to be a long term thing that I do. Like I said, that I I have seventy five episodes planned, and I I know from my past experience that if I set myself up wrong at the in the beginning, it will just compound over those seventy five episodes and. I'll want to change something later and and then I'll, I'll want to go back and redo all the previous episodes to update to that change or whatever and I'll just spin into the ground so I want to spend my hours upfront and figure out my pipeline figure out the styling for everything you know figure out everything ahead of time so that I can just pump out episodes relatively quickly once yeah. I get that thing figured out
0: right here's here's the counterpoint right like the counterpoint is, no matter how much time you spend on this now, you will release a few episodes and you'll get feedback from people. And it might change your mind about a couple of decisions. I just, it seems inevitable that that will happen, or it seems more likely that that will happen than the likelihood of you shipping it and it being perfect out of the gate. So if you're going to iterate anyways, like why not iterate at the same time that you're shipping? But if for you, it's the the backlog having to also sort of catch up to, the, to your bar, then I can see how that's a trap,
1: right? Mm-hmm. It's a different voice in my head, right? Like my own voice telling me, hey, you need to fix that thing that you know about is different from someone else saying, hey, i like this thing that you didn't do, right? Those, those are different levels of priority in my mind and depends on what the, the thing is. But like I, I tend to beat myself up more over the things that I know I need to fix myself. I have a little bit of a thicker skin when it comes to things people are suggesting to me. Like, oh, okay, yeah, that's cool. I can incorporate that. You know what I mm. mean? So, yeah, uh, I want to get happy for myself first. I want to be happy with it. Like, okay, if I were to ship this, I'd be cool with it, and I never touch it again. Right. So, but that's one a of hard di- point to get to.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And I think this is another one of the distinctions here is I think you're much more driven by the craftsmanship of the thing. Than I am. I probably, maybe it's blasphemous to say it here on the show, but I think I probably care about craft less than you. Oof. But yours is going to a, a degree that I think most people would agree is like, okay, holy shit. So, for example, you made your own soundtrack for it, right? Or a little background music for it, right? Yeah. And that's the kind of thing where for me, I would just go buy it. Like, if this was my project, I need audio. All right, forget like, I'll just go find a, a minute clip pay a hundred bucks for it, whatever, and like move on. And so I guess it's one of the cool things I think about maybe the more craftsmanship style approach, which is you like dug in and figured out how to make the music for it. And it's now a skill that you'll have that I will not have because I will never do that because I'm just more motivated by the ship itself. So I don't know,
1: like what's driving that? I I think it's just because I want to say that I did everything myself maybe. I don't know. Mm. Um, Well, one, I know what I want. And I have a music background. I played music for years growing up, and I, I know enough to be dangerous, right? But I've never actually done it in Logic before, so mm-hmm. it was like, oh, okay. I I have, I know how to use this tool in one way, and I know it can do other things. Like I'm kind of already halfway there. If I just figure out the difference, I can make some music in this application that I already use every week. So the mountain wasn't too high to climb, and it was a mountain that I wanted to climb because I. Didn't want to credit anybody else for their music, and I didn't want to pay anybody else for the music, and even if I did, it probably wouldn't be exactly what I wanted anyways. So I found something similar, used that as inspiration, like as a temp track as I was working on putting the episodes together. And then since then, I've I've matched the same beat but and, and matched kind of the same vibe, but it is a unique piece of music that I created myself. I have, like, the the stems for it and everything, right? Like, it's mine, and I own it now, and I don't have to credit anybody else. And, and, and it's not about, like, not having to credit anybody else. I just don't want to bog down. Like, I don't want to have an end credit screen with uh-huh. stuff for, like, people to get distracted. But that's just noise. So, like, uh-huh. I'm trying to remove as much noise as possible. And a lot of that has been, like, my own fucking noise of, like, the reason I said a one minute constraint for this thing is because I think it's hard to learn, especially in like longer form tutorials. Like you watch a 30 minute tutorial on YouTube and how much of that do you actually retain, you know? And as people like move towards shorts and TikTok and all these short form things, I think it's, Good to follow that kind of zeitgeist of like, okay, if this is the attention span, can I can I force myself to <laughs> uh-huh. be succinct enough to fit into this yeah. attention span?
0: Dude, en- en- enjoy your moment in the sunshine because next year you're going to be usurped by the next creator who realizes that the modern attention span is thirty seconds, <laughs> and they're going <laughs> to have twice as many videos at half the length, and it's going to be all <laughs> <Yeah>. the rage.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, in the meantime. <laughs> It's been a really good constraint of keeping myself concise and making sure that it's just the most useful information, get in, get out, and be done with it. Right, And so a lot of the work and a lot of the, the iteration that I've done has just been meeting my own constraints and getting past my own shortcomings mm-hmm. um, So so that by the end I can have a really solid product that I feel proud of, and don't mind having be permanent on the internet. And I think maybe that's the thing is like mm. the internet is permanent. And and especially because I don't really get a whole lot of joy out of going back and fixing things other than just like satisfying my perfectionism. But when I put something up there, I especially like with these episodes, right? Every every podcast that we do, we record it, I uh-huh. edit it, we upload it, and it's done. We never it's go out, back to it. It's right? out there. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. And it, it'll be out there for years and years and decades until... Either nobody gives a shit or the internet is no longer working, right? So yeah. having some level of polish that I feel happy, like, okay, this can live forever in this form, and I'll probably be embarrassed about it later, but today, the Marshall right now is not ashamed of putting this out into the world. See,
0: that's an interesting point, because I, it's, it seems that inevitably we will embarrass, be embarrassed by all the things oh, that yeah. create. great. Just as a pattern so far (laughs) of having grown, right? Like I am embarrassed of almost every episode I've ever recorded this podcast. Like you just hear it later, especially the early ones, like our early interviews. It's like, fuck, we were asking incredibly talented people, really bad questions. What a wasted opportunity. And I know that will happen for everything I ever make, probably. Right. Yep. Like, so I almost lean into that. Like, okay, well, I'm going to be embarrassed about it anyways. I might as well like get it out and learn from it now instead of learning from it in six months, if that makes sense. I'm, it's almost like I'm trying to speed up the learning cycle, the iteration cycle. Not that you can't have that learning cycle internally before you ship. I think maybe I just learn more from, from having something in the world and seeing responses to it
1: it's totally valid yeah yeah that's that's i think the normal way to do it i'm weird man (laughs) like uh, well here let's weird way
0: well we can reframe this against the the original question which is like and it reminds me of one thing you said like you put an okr at work against this project and for my projects i put a date on it or a certain sort of feature threshold on it where i say at this time or at this amount of functionality i'm shipping and for you, you found this other way of saying, well, I'm accountable for this now to somebody else within a certain time frame. How did you arrive at that method instead of setting a deadline for yourself, for example?
1: I don't know. We were we were writing OKRs okay <laughs> for next quarter and it was on my mind. Just it just happened. It's like, oh yeah, because cause I want to release those at Google and make them available internally for everybody free. And that's that that will be part of my dog fooding process, is like they'll be the first people to see it and I'll get a lot of feedback before I start charging people money for it, right? So yeah, that's kind of the, the process, but it was going to have to go that direction anyway, so it made sense in this very specific example. Sure. I'm not sure that would work for other things.
0: Well, maybe it is a takeaway for this, right? Like, I think having accountability to somebody else and saying that you're going to do a thing by a certain time can be powerful. Like, As long as you're not the kind of person that your itch gets scratched by having made the commitment, or, or, or there's no consequences to not doing it, so you feel safe to, to abandon ship. In fact, I think there was like a whole there was a whole app for this, right? Like there's an app where you could commit to a goal and put money into a digital piggy bank, more or less. And if you met the goal, you got your money back. And if you didn't meet the goal, the app got the money. Right. So that was their monetization strategy: is they they assume some percentage of people will not work out every day they won't write in their journal every day they won't whatever follow their diet plan and so some percentage of people are going to pay us whatever 100 bucks or whatever they decide to commit to themselves where if they'd just done it they would have been break even but it seems like there needs to be that kind of accountability and maybe monetary is a good one or just reputational accountability is is another approach here in the workplace
1: right yeah Reputational accountability is a good phrase. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, to your point, I have uh, an accountability buddy. I, I should have mentioned this. Yeah, I, I have a colleague that we do a one-on-one every week, and it's not like a work one-on-one. It's just a chat and oh, nice you know, talk about books and movies and stuff. And she is my accountability buddy for this thing, where every week I say, okay, I'm going to have you know another episode done next week. And she's kind of the person that I know. Like, okay, I told her. I was gonna have this thing done. I okay, and you know the weekend rolls around. I'm thinking about our one on one on Monday. Like okay, I I need to do this thing, Uh and that definitely Uh, does keep me accountable.
0: Well, I mean, hey, look at this podcast, right? God knows this podcast would not exist without you, and 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 just having a co host to carry the load, but also just a person that you know, you and I, we text each other on Monday. It's like we're doing this thing, Mm -hmm. and without that trigger, it could be easy to be like, ah, I'm not feeling it. No thanks, I'll pass. And yeah. then you skip a week, you skip two weeks, and then it's dead. So I, I'd call you an accountability partner in this show for sure.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Goes both ways, buddy.
0: So, okay. Let's let's wrap this topic. Some ideas for, for the listener. Find a way to be accountable either to yourself, to someone else, financially, reputationally, or just with someone you respect that you don't want to let down. Or set a deadline for yourself. Say, this is the last day that I will work on this case study until it Till I publish it. And then I'm a, I give myself permission after publishing to, to make any follow on tweaks, but it has to be live at, at some date. What else? It sounds like you're already self aware of the, this like tendency to maybe over polish things. So I think that's a good place to start. And if you can catch yourself and uh, I don't know, like remind yourself of the point, right? Like the point is to get this in the world and show it to people. And, and there's ways to de-risk that, right? Like if it's a case study or portfolio, you can design it in such a way that the first people who see it aren't recruiters and hiring managers. Like you can publish it and send it to your friends or send it to your family and make sure the first people who see it are people who are going to give you thoughtful, caring feedback and will give you a chance to fix the obvious mistakes that you will have inevitably missed because that happens with everybody's projects. So cool. Cool.
1: I hope my mania, (laughs) the explanation of my mania has Helped you in some way.
0: Well, guess what, Marshall? It's out in the ether now. The world knows about an upcoming uh, side project. So, uh,
1: yeah, yeah. No, this is the this is the real big one. Of like, oh gosh, okay. Now it's <laughs> now it's a thing I've said I'm doing. Yeah, I think you'll like it though. It's a, it, it, the, here's the catch though, Brian. It's not just your average Figma tutorials. This is for people who actually use Figma on a daily basis. This is like some non obvious relatively pro tip shit like even the beginner stuff is like you're probably not going to see it in most tutorials that you do i'm not trying to reinvent the wheel here i'm trying to fill the gaps
0: i i'm excited i'm excited to see them and absorb the tips myself maybe we can adopt some tim cook here in our messaging and say we think you're gonna love it (laughs) coming soon
1: (laughs) coming this fall (laughs) yeah just like air power (laughs) Uh, oh don't jinx it don't jinx it all right yep yep Cool things? All right. Cool things. My cool thing this week is a novel. Back-to-back books. Marshall. Dude, I am just devouring books. Like the last, I don't know, three or four months, I've read like 15 books or something like that. Anyways. Mm -hmm. The one I'm currently reading is one I'm actually rereading. And quick backstory. I read this book. And the ending fucking blew my mind. And I thought about it for a while and a few months went by and I was like, what was the name of that book? And I went back looking through my Audible library and scanning all the covers and I just couldn't find it. And it, like the name was so forgettable that I just <laughs> couldn't remember what how it related to the story. Uh, my, my headcanon... Of the title of the book was was wrong. So, anyways, it was a lost book to me, Brian. I, I thought I had lost the story forever, but I just stumbled upon it again because there's a sequel that just came out, and I was like, "Wait, this sounds like that other thing I read." Anyways, <laughs> uh-huh. so the name of the book is Infinite by Jeremy Robinson. It's a pretty standard sci-fi tropey setup: the world is ending, we've fucked over Earth, they've sent off some spaceships full of people and a bunch of DNA to repopulate potential Earth-like planets that are nearby. And our protagonist is one of these scientists who've been sent out on this mission. He's actually an engineer. He writes code. And when he wakes up, one of his colleagues has woken up early and killed basically everybody in their cryostasis chambers and tries to kill him. So shit is bad from the very, very beginning. I'm not ruining too much to say that he discovers that he is basically invincible. He will live forever. His body can heal itself. He's, He's like got a special DNA edition thing done. All of the crew is dead and he's stuck in a spaceship Headed out into the middle of the space because the the crazy guy left where they were supposed to be and mm-hmm. now they're just floating in the middle of space. Mm-hmm. So because he's an engineer, he creates an AI that helps him create essentially a narrative that he calls the great escape for him to basically live forever in because he's stuck on a spaceship in the middle of nowhere, but he's got this badass VR suit with like a full room with a moving floor and everything, fully immersive, smells, taste, all that shit, right? So he's he's going to jump into this great escape. He's built this AI that's talking to him and everything. And just as he's lowered the VR goggles onto his head and is about to go into it, she calls him by the name of the crazy guy who killed everybody. And he goes, like, wait, wait, what? Oh. And something's not quite right. It seemed like the AI was fine, but he's about to jump into this thing where basically she'll have control of the ship and he'll be stuck in a VR suit you know, forever. Maybe he should check things out and not everything is as it seems. And then hijinks ensue. It goes some crazy fucking places Uh and lots of twists and turns and crazy twists at the end of the book. Fucking blew my mind. Anyways, Infinite by Jeremy Robinson. All right.
0: Awesome. Sounds fun. I will add it to my long and and ever-growing backlog of books you've recommended But sci-fi is certainly more up my alley than some of the fantasy stuff. So
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is is a page-turner. It's really good. Awesome, awesome.
0: Okay, Marshall, you drink coffee, yeah? Yeah. Okay. What kind of coffee do you drink?
1: We have like one of those Nespresso pod thingies. Uh Yeah. Do you brew your own coffee? Nah, it's too much work. Okay. I don't need to spend 20 minutes making my coffee. Just like... Wake me up, please.
0: Well, boy, oh boy, do I have product for you, Marshall. <laughs> okay, all
1: right. Did I just sell it for you?
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. So I I love me a good cup of joe. It is my morning ritual. I like to grind and brew and do. I ha, I am partial to Chemex, but I've done French press and pour overs and all this kind of shit. Anyways. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah.
1: French press is cool. I, I like French
0: press. I, I like the process, but I like the coffee more. I just like a good tasting cup of joe. Anyway, several months ago, I was at a party, my first post-vax party, and a friend, as I'm heading out the door, runs and he goes, wait, wait, hang on, you got to try this. He goes to his freezer, pulls out a pod of this coffee product I will name shortly, and says, just try this. And I I went home, put it in my freezer, I'm like, frozen coffee, what the fuck are you talking about? And I kept making my own, because I know how to make a good cup of coffee, I don't need this frozen shit. Well... One day, I pulled it out, decided to try it, and boy, oh boy, was it like the cloth had been pulled from in front of my eyes, and I was blind, and now I could see, yeah. It was uh, a transformative moment. I said, oh, I thought my coffee was good, but this is, like, proper, this is this is the way the, the nectar of the gods tastes, so to speak. Is it basically like an ice cube that is coffee? Okay, yes, yeah, so let me tell you about this. So the company's called Cometeer, and... What they do is they work with different roasters around the country. Some of the brands that you will know and recognize like Equator and Counterculture and Joe Coffee and Red Bay and like a bunch of big brand names that make really good coffee. And they brew 26 grams like of just regular coffee and then they flash freeze it at negative 300 and something degrees. And so it instantly freezes. It's not like a dehydrated coffee. It's not an instant coffee where they... It just like sits out forever. It is pure 26 grams of coffee in this little frozen capsule, instantly frozen. And so then the way that you prepare it is. It sounds
1: like you're describing drugs, by the way. It's like <laughs> you're measuring it in grams and like it's pure. Well, see, uncut. Like
0: that's, I mean, people who get really into their coffee, like they measure, you know, gram to water ratio and all this kind of stuff. Anyways. So you get this this little frozen capsule, you run a little warm water on it in the tap to sort of unstick it from inside the pod. The pod is aluminum, it's recyclable, it's good, whatever, like it's not these plastic things that clog up the landfills. Anyways, you then just pour that little puck into your cup, pour some hot water over it, and voila, the perfect cup of coffee. And I was skeptical about this. I tried it. It was incredible. I have now become an evangelist for it. I have told friends about it who then went on to try it and have also confirmed that it is the best way to make coffee. It takes, you know, as long as it takes to boil water or get your water to the desired temperature. I prefer mine at a 95 degrees Celsius. Thank you very much. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, you want to get your coffee to different temperatures, but it also depends on your altitude. It changes, so... I do 94 or 95 in San Francisco. Anyways, it's very good. And it's a long time I've brought it to the show and recommended it to other coffee lovers. So here's the deal you can go to cometeer.com and try it. I think they actually have a waiting list, like you have to sort of sign up. But I also have an affiliate code, and I think it just bypasses that. And the way it works is if you go to designdetails.fm slash coffee. If you go there, I think you save 25 bucks off your first order and then I'll get 25 bucks off my next order as well. So win-win, but I recommend it. I get the light slash medium variety box and then I add on a decaf eight pack and I I use those decafs for like a a late afternoon coffee every now and again. So that's my taste preference, but they will walk you through and you get to pick your exact flavor preference profile, whatever, and then you can get as much or as, as little as you like every month. And then it's just delivered on a schedule, pop it in the freezer and do a pot or two a day. And it's fantastic. So anyways, I, I feel like a salesman now, but I really do love it. And when I run out, I'm very, I'm truly sad. Like I, I just ran out and it, we're not going to be in New York long enough to order more. So I'm cometeer free for the next 10 days. And I, I'm not lying. It, it's a very sad morning. I have to like go buy coffee from someplace. It's depressing. Yeah,
1: they have terrible coffee in New York. How how could you possibly even get good coffee? Yeah,
0: I know. And it's like I go to a coffee shop and it's good coffee. I'm like, it's just still not the same. It's just not as good. It's crazy. It's really, really good. All right, that's enough. Well, cool thing, Brian. Well, it's been episode 412. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM. As always, you can... Hit us up there. Send us feedback, thoughts. You can DM us. And if you are enjoying the show, even if this is your first episode and want to hear more stuff, like if you want to hear us talk all about today's Apple event and the new iPhones, head over to patreon.com slash design details, where for just a buck a month, just a buck a month, you get access to supporter only bonus episode every week. We call it the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. So once again, that's patreon.com slash design details. That's it for this week. Catch you next time.
1: Bye. bye bye three of them <laughs> three three Options. Nailed it.
0: Uh, we have a variety of buys today if you're choosing here on the left we have the more rounded fuller bodied goodbye bye Molly a. <laughs>